الجزيرة بودكاست India's National Airlines seals the biggest deal in aviation history. Air India is buying 470 jets from Airbus and Boeing. Will it be a game changer for its travel industry? And can the airline break the dominance of major Gulf carriers? I'm Darin Abugeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's now bring in our guest. Joining us from London is Andrew Charlton, who's the Managing Director of Aviation Advocacy. In New Delhi, Ajay Autani, founder and editor of Live from A-Lounge. That's a news website on aviation and travel trends. And also in London is aviation and communications consultant Updesh Kapoor. Warm welcome to you all. Thanks so much for your time with us on Inside Story. AJ, um, how significant is this deal for Air India? Well, uh, this is a massive deal by all... uh shapes and sizes. It's the biggest commercial aviation deal uh, in the history of uh, aviation. So yeah, it's not just significant for India, it's significant globally. And uh, with respect to Air India, this deal uh, provides them with the uh, equipment that they need for the growth plans over the next 10 years or so. So uh, this will help them repair, uh, you know, replace the old aircraft that they've been operating bring in a more modern and a more sustainable fleet, as well as, you know, start more uh, international flights uh, to the U.S. and Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, So, yeah, this is going to be significant for them. Andrew Charlton, uh, do you agree this order is a step in the right direction? Well, I think there's a few things to say. First of all, Absolutely. It's the largest order in the history of the world. Secondly, it's the first order for Air India since 2005. So it's a huge replacement and refreshment of their fleet, which is absolutely necessary. And also, uh, as AJ said, some of it is for short-haul flying, which uh, both domestically within India but also to to the near countries around India, but also a significant number of aircraft that can fly long haul to the United States, to, to the UK, to Australia, places like that, where they can get to the quite large um, Indian diaspora, and which I think not only is it significant for Air India, it also changes the balance for competition in the region as well. Yeah, OK, all important points that we're going to get into shortly, but let me just bring in Updesh Kapoor. Um, uh, what do you think? I mean, ordering aircraft, I suppose, is the easy part, but now comes the harder part, and, and the success is not really um, a done deal yet. So how big a battle is it going to be for Air India to turn things around? I think, first of all, I'd like to say this is a big statement of intent by India, Air India and the Indian government to actually support the growth of this airline, which has been stag- stagnant for quite some time. Um, what's really going to happen is, I mean, you, you've seen over the years how the Gulf carriers, Qatar Airways, Etihad and Emirates have really um, shown their strength and their might. And all three carriers in the Middle East have been known to be carrying a lot of traffic from India probably over 60% of the traffic that goes to Europe and to the US um, comes over the Gulf. So there's a big market that Air India particularly has been missing out on, uh, most like, mostly because it doesn't have the aircraft, didn't have the aircraft, the way it was managed in, in previous years. But this is a big statement of intent to really take on the big boys in the Gulf, but it's not going to be instant. This will take some time. And I think one of the biggest things is uh, this deal has actually injected a level of pride in, uh, in in Indians, Indian travellers, to bring them back on board to fly Air India. 
But as I say, it's going to take quite some time to actually overcome that sort of traffic flow via the Gulf and go direct to other markets. Okay, let's bring in Andrew. Uh, how challenging do you think it's going to be for the Air India to compete against those Gulf carriers, given their, their loyal base? It will be challenging. There's no disputing it because you're, you're fighting against three really high-class airlines and really high-quality airlines with a very established customer base. On the upside, though, um, just to pick up on the last point, 60% of the traffic out of India to many long-haul places goes with one stop over somewhere in the Middle East, um, Doha, Dubai, whatever. Uh, if you can start to offer non-stop services, then that's obviously better and that, that's a, a, a direct improvement. And it will also, I think, stimulate competition and further growth for other Indian carriers as well. We've seen already uh, Indigo has announced a new deal with Turkish Airlines to try to expand its long-haul international network to try to get... Uh, into that huge Indian diaspora uh, and to try to build market share from there. So I think it's... I completely agree that it's a statement of intent and things will take time, but it's a really interesting time. AJ, uh, there was a, a report by a, a Aviation Consultancy Centre for Asia-Pacific Aviation which is estimating this, that Indian carriers are expected to place orders for 1,500 to 1,700 aircraft over the next 24 months. So clearly there's there's more to come. How does all of this change the Indian aviation landscape? So, uh, you know, a lot of the aircraft that we're talking about uh, are going to be used for domestic and regional aviation, you know. So uh, like uh, Andrew mentioned, uh, a lot of these aircraft will be perhaps used to fly between Mumbai, Delhi and the other 100 air, uh, airports that we have in India at this point of time live. Uh, but then the same aircraft during the night or other parts of the day are also used to fly, let's say, to the Middle East, uh, into Dubai, Doha on one side and Singapore uh, on the other side, let's say. So all these aircraft that are coming in, uh, I know Air India has placed an order. Indigo already has 500 aircraft uh, due to be delivered to them, including some uh, uh, long-range uh, XLR aircraft. Uh, Akasa, which was a new airline which only started operations in August of last year, is already talking about the second order. They placed a 72 aircraft order with Boeing already, uh, which uh, fills them up for the next four or five years. But they're already talking about the second air uh, order to be placed. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of these aircraft uh, will compensate uh, will be needed to fly to a lot more new greenfield and brownfield airports that are being constructed in India right now. And uh, hopefully some of these will also be used to kind of, you know, uh, bridge the traffic, let's say, uh, to have people fly one hop via India into the Middle East or further uh, down into Europe as well. But AJ, the airline will also have a bit of a challenge in terms of when it comes to modernizing its operations, right? Including software, maintenance, as well as systems for the new aircraft. Correct? How big a challenge is that going to be? So, uh, you know, a lot of work has been going on in the background. Uh, it has been only one year since Air India uh, was acquired by the Tata Group, uh, which is, and so Air India is now a privatized carrier. And uh, what, what I know is there are all sorts of systems and processes that are being changed at Air India right now. So obviously, uh, right from the software migrations, uh, to uh, 
new software and new SOPs. Erily has talked about establishing an aviation academy, uh, for instance, to be able to bring in more pilots which who will captain and uh, steer these aircraft. So uh, it's a massive effort. And I think everybody who is anybody uh, selling aircraft and software services uh, in the aviation business has made a trip to India over the past one year, trying to convince Air India to sign up with them. And I guess some of that effort is already showing. But obviously, it's a five-year uh, turnaround plan. So we will see a lot more things change uh, as time passes by and as those efforts start to kind of, uh, you know, show up. Okay. For instance, Air India is already spending $400 million. They've committed to spending $400 million to kind of, uh, you know, modernize the other aircraft that they already have in the fleet, the 787s, the triple seven, and so on. Right. Uptesh, are you optimistic that uh, the uh, Air India can improve its service? Because some reaction that, uh, that I've seen, at least, is that uh, critics say the product remains below sort of industry standards and expectations. Uh, look, um, at the end of the day, you're making a huge investment in new aircraft, in, uh, in refurbishing your interiors of existing aircraft. Um, and there's a five-year plan, as Ajay just mentioned. There is this plan called Vihan, Vihan AI Air India, which is a five-year transformation plan. Nothing can be done overnight. So give them some time, please. You know, at the end of the day, we don't want – we have an airline here that's had a long history of substandard service, mismanagement uh, for decades – um, Tata's come in a year ago, 12 months ago, to really put things back on track. And that, as I mentioned earlier on, there is a statement of intent. They are going to make a waves, certainly going to make waves, and they want to become a global carrier of choice. That is the ultimate objective. That will take time. It's not overnight, as I mentioned. So I think there are a lot of skeptics here, a lot of cynicism, um, but I'm very optimistic. I, I think this, this transformation program is the right step following the uh, the purchase 12 months ago. Uh, they've got a new CEO, new managing director, Campbell Wilson, who's come in from Southeast Asia, a long history of running airlines, uh, low cost and full service. So um, they've actually brought in talent um, to, to, to reinvent the airline. And I think, you know, let's give them a chance and let's, let's let everyone get behind them, particularly the Indian diaspora. But one other thing I have to say is that in today's world where you're looking for connectivity, great connectivity of flights between different destinations. Um, this is what Air India wants to do, really beef up its domestic operations so that it can then feed its international services. But and wouldn't you say like that they say are still really, really lagging behind, Uptesh, at this point? And, and also, and I, I, you know, I'm glad you bring up the transformation plan because uh, the, the transformation plan is, is being kept somewhat close to, close to their chest. What details do we actually know about that transformation plan? About the transformation plan is that changing the processes internally within the airline. There are a lot of processes that need changing. Um, they're looking at new service standards, whether it's catering, whether it's how um, the, the, the engineering works are carried out on the aircraft. Um, the, the technical side, which um, uh, Ajay talked about, the IT infrastructure, uh, communications, marketing, sales, network optimization. Right now, their network is not optimized. i just give you an example in terms of what their operation is like. For example, in the U.S., they have 47 flights a week into the United States from Delhi, Mumbai, and, and Bangalore, Bangalore to five gateways in the U.S., now, they really need to beef up that, 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 that uh, network to cover other places like Kolkata and Chennai into the U.S. and also Europe as well. 
47 flights a week, as opposed to Emirates, for example, which has over 100 flights a week from Dubai into the US, uh, to 11 gateways, more than 11 gateways. That's the big difference. Dubai is a small market, so they're taking that, uh, that chunk of traffic away from India. So, so what India's, Air India is trying to do, it needs to build up that level of confidence with the order of the new aircraft. They can open up new routes, bilaterals permitting, um, and, and, and really make, uh, make a go for it. So uh, service will have to improve at the, uh, at the end of the day as well. And that there's a big task force internally within Air India looking at service, looking at how they market their, their operations, looking at how they sell their operations, look at the distribution um, uh, uh, distribution um, assets they have in terms of who do they sell through, travel agents, online, direct, the website. Their website still has a long way to go to improve that level of service. But the, the, the task force, there's a number of task forces within that transformation program that are looking at different areas of the business. Okay, let's think, bring in Andrew. Uh, uh, Andrew, what about the actual infrastructure? Does India have the adequate infrastructure and capacity uh, to handle a large surge in passenger traffic? That's a fantastic question, a really complicated question. Can I just pick up on the last point, though, sure. a little bit? I think we've got to take some comfort from the fact that the transformation started a year ago and it's only now that the aircraft order has been placed. It indicates that perhaps they're putting the horse before the cart because it's important that you get all the internal things right and you certainly get them planned and mapped out before you throw a huge number of new aircraft at the market. And, yes, you're absolutely right. The infrastructure question is is a really vital one. But what's really interesting in that, I think, is that India has has not pulled its weight as an aviation market, has not pulled its weight in the way that really it ought to and really we can expect it to. Geographically, it's in a fantastic location uh, in terms of linking east with west. Uh, it's got a huge domestic market, obviously. It's got a huge diaspora market as well as a huge tourism market. India should be... And, and, the, and the market is growing, it's young. India should be a, a really strong aviation player and it can't be a strong aviation player when 60% of its traffic is being carried by, by carriers outside of India. So, yes, this is a, a statement of intent. Yes, it, it clearly wouldn't have happened without the full support of the government. And you're absolutely right. Infrastructure is going to have to continue to grow and to continue to develop so that, so that the entire system can work across. But it's sort of a chicken and an egg thing. Unless you've got the infrastructure, you can't have the aircraft. If you don't have the aircraft, you don't need the infrastructure. So this will really put the asset on everybody, but I actually think it's, it, if it comes off, it'll be absolutely fantastic for India. Okay, let's bring in AJ from New Delhi. Talk to us about the infrastructure and India's need to improve the infrastructure. So, you know, guys, as we speak, there are already, uh, in the past two months, we've had a new airport come up, uh, which is in the state of Goa, uh, which is already starting to uh, handle a lot of domestic flights and is slated to start opening for international flights soon. Uh, with a, uh, there is a new terminal that is launched uh, in the metropolis of uh, Bengaluru. And uh, the two biggest uh, gateways in uh, India, which is Delhi and Mumbai, they're getting second airports. Uh, the construction is on, 25 to 30% of the work is done. And uh, I think in the next one, one and a half years, we will see, uh, start seeing them uh, going live as well. So as these aircraft come in, we are actually working on the airport infrastructure as well. And these are obviously new modern uh, airports, 
with uh, minimum connecting times uh, being reduced and optimized for international traffic flow. Uh, the Delhi airport, which is already existent, is also working on a fourth runway right now, which is due to go live anytime in the next 60 days, I believe. So, yeah, the infrastructure is also being, uh, the airport infrastructure is being parallelly worked upon. Uh, and right. the metropolis airports, where we will actually see the wide bodies fly out of, you know, let's say to JFK or to San Francisco or uh, other uh, or parts of Europe, will all uh, be able to cater to these requirements uh, very, very soon. Let I'd me say. just bring in Andrew for a second, because I, I see that you just wanted to respond. Uh, not, not to respond, but to, in fact, supplement. The other part of the infrastructure that people tend to ignore is the air traffic control. And uh, AAI, the Airports Authority of India, which is responsible for Indian air traffic control, has also put in um, a remarkable upgrade recently and is rapidly developing so that it can handle the traffic. Because it's one thing to have the aeroplanes, it's another thing to have the airports, but you've also got to have the air traffic control uh, keeping pace with that. And we're seeing that happening in India at the moment. Okay, Updesh, uh, how important is this for Boeing and Airbus, obviously, but also uh, for the suppliers, for example, like GE, who is making the engines? Absolutely. Uh, it's a huge deal. As Ajay mentioned earlier on, uh, a lot of the suppliers have actually been flying into India over the last few months just to try and ink that deal. Uh, what's going to happen now is, um, because it's such a huge market, just like China, um, you're going to have these suppliers looking at setting up operations in India. Uh, some of them already have operations, but they're going to widen it. And obviously the supply chain as well, whether it's the nuts and bolts and the windows or, or the tire, the wheels, uh, the axles, whatever. I mean, there are so many options, so many, uh, so many um, uh, options available. And I think that's what's going to happen more and more over the next... Uh, in fact, so a lot of these suppliers are already looking at India as... Uh, an, uh, as a destination, as a place to actually set up manufacturing plants to improve that supply chain. So for Boeing and Airbus, this is a massive deal, and for the suppliers also. Uh, um, AJ, for for uh, Modi himself, how uh, is this a, a seen as a political win? The fact that, as um, uh, Uptesh was was just saying, countries will be looking uh, towards India more than China, as China's relations w with the West are somewhat fraught. So you see, uh, it was a deal that uh, uh, had the president of uh, France and the president of the United States, uh, you know, announce it. So obviously the scale is massive of this deal. Uh, what is going to be the focus uh, for the Indian uh, bureaucracy and the administration is going to be to try and get much uh, as much uh, benefit out of this for Indian uh, domestic manufacturing as well. Now, uh, one of the things that is usually ignored is uh, Airbus manufactures parts of their aircraft in India, which are fitted up on every A320 or A321 uh, that flies around the globe right now. Uh, we don't talk about it too much, but yeah, it's it's uh, manufactured in India. Uh, the doors of the aircraft, I believe, uh, to start with. Right, so, but for uh, Modi himself, happen, but for Modi himself, yeah. I mean, is he succeeding here in leveraging India's sort of geopolitical position and economic promise to? to maintain good relations with the U.S. and its allies? What's the political message that he's sending out? So at the point of time, uh, there's no political message that has been sent out, apart from the fact that, you know, it, India is an economic uh, superpower in the making. And obviously, uh, it helps everyone to be on the right side of India and uh, deal with India uh, in an appropriate fashion rather than as a pushover. Andrew, do you agree with that? Uh, uh... 
Modi is accused by some of cracking down on dissent uh, more recently. Is this a way to sort of distract from these accusations? That's that's a little bit of a long bow. I do think it's it's interesting. It's interesting both at a political level and at an aviation only level that the deal and almost every other large aircraft order you can think of splits quite equally between Airbus and Boeing. From Modi's perspective, to be able to keep America on side to make an announcement with President Biden and then to make an announcement with President Macron as well will not do him any harm and will not harm India's eye, uh, India in the eyes of, of, of Europe and in the eyes of America. So from that perspective, it's always good. But an aircraft order of this size has very frequently seen the president get um, wheeled out and to smile for the cameras. So uh, politically, it certainly does him no harm at all. But interestingly, I think really fascinatingly in all this is that Airbus and Boeing, the airlines clearly want competition between the mainframe manufacturers. Both companies make excellent aeroplanes uh, that are almost, and I realise there are some very fine nuances here, but, but, you know, are almost interchangeable. But yet airlines, time after time, split their orders, even though that is less efficient because you need to have two sets of spares, you need to have two sets of pilots, you need to have two sets of engineers and so on. They, they split their orders 50-50 because they really acknowledge that having fierce competition between Airbus and on the one hand and Boeing on the other hand is good for them into the long term. There's never been a discussion about it. I'm not for a second accusing the airlines of agreeing this in some way, but it's it's very much the way in which it's done and I find that completely fascinating. Um, Updash, would you like to weigh in on what we just heard from Andrew and also uh, comment on the political aspects of all of this for Modi? I think it keeps both camps uh, happy, whether it's Airbus or Boeing, uh, whether it's France, whether it's the US. So it is, a, it is politically motivated as well. But at the end of the day, there are only two companies that can actually manufacture aircraft of this scale, and that's Boeing and Airbus in France and in the US. So which way do you go? Who do you support? Who do you don't support? So I think it's more of, of keeping both manufacturers um, uh, in in. Uh, in hand um, rather than anything else. And politically, well, yes, you could argue that it's politically motivated, but I, I still think that they had to make the order, they had to place the order, who would they place it with? Which one? AJ, France or US? How much does the air transport sector actually contribute to India's economy? Well, uh, I think air transport sector is no more than 4% at this point of time of India's economy, but uh, that's not absolutely just the only way of looking at it. Uh, you know, what we've seen over the past 15, 20 years as uh, air travel has kind of become mainstream compared to just being a luxury has been the fact that uh, air travel really uh, kind of, uh, there's a, a thought that I believe in time is money. And basically air travel is cutting down those long journeys on the roads, uh, which would take 16 hours into two-hour flights now. So basically, people are able to work more and deliver more, uh, you know. So that way, it's indirectly helping the economy by helping people to be in uh, different places at the same time. And of course, uh, tourism is 10% of India's economy. So as air travel grows, tourism grows as well from 10% to maybe 14 15% of the pie over a period of time. Because as more people fly across the country and as more international tourists come into India, 
uh, you know, we will be able to increase the share of uh, GDP of tourism as well. So it is indeed a big part of uh, how India's uh, GDP contribution uh, changes over the coming decades or is already changing at this point of time as well. Okay, Andrew, a final word to you. Go ahead. Oh, I think, yes, certainly. I think there's two more aspects to, to what AJ just said. The first one is, of course, when you take people off the roads and put them into the air, you've increased safety, you've improved people's safety, and that's good for the economy all round. And then the other point that we haven't talked about yet, but we should, is that these new aircraft are much more efficient and much less, they burn less fuel, they will have fewer emissions. So it's a good contribution towards both simultaneously growing the economy, but doing so in a way which is environmentally more, con uh, more uh, conscious and, and, and with, lower, with lower cost on sustainability. Yep, important points, but I'm afraid we've run out of time. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much uh, to all my guests, Andrew Charlton, AJ Otani, and Uptesh Kapoor. Thanks for joining us. This episode was produced by Shabina Khan, Nihad Al-Abadi, Fungin Guyan, and Harry Fawcett. Studio sound was by Hasib Hashmi. The program was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Lin Guyan, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Tuesday for our next episode.